You know, I'd share with you that back in 2005, uh, I was a defense attorney not representing policyholders, but I was representing large insurance companies at that point. And we were talking at about, I'd say once or twice a year, a couple of my larger clients were meeting with Florida legislators, both statewide as well as more local, you know, in the county areas to address the issue of sinkhole activity causing damage to buildings, especially new homes that were being constructed. In 2005, the, if you looked at the top five NASDAQ companies at the end of the year, four of them were home builders. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you, you stop and think, wow, since home builders are making all this money, then they're going to put out a better product. Quite the contrary. Because they were moving them so fast, building them so quickly, they weren't doing any preliminary investigations in the areas. But instead, they started producing homes that were put together by just substandard materials that had been created. That's where we learned for the first time the expression builder's grade, which is not a good thing. (laughs) And I remember working with some geotechnical engineers. You know, I don't think it was with you, but with other geotechnical engineers, we were telling the counties that they needed to change their building code to address subsurface conditions and that they also prior to permitting a plat, you know, where they have all the homes to do a minimum amount of subsurface investigation. And the developers absolutely fought that and it never happened. No, Uh, I was, um, I'm with you. I was, uh, went to several, uh, Pasco County commission meetings when, uh, you know, this was a big issue. Pasco County, for those of you that aren't in the area, just just north of us, part of the Sinkhole Alley area. Um, And what was happening is insurance companies and and homeowners were having to deal with all these claims. And so the county commissioners set forth a committee to address this issue. And and I'm paraphrasing here, but they set forth a directive to the committee to develop an ordinance that will strengthen the foundations of buildings in order for them to resist the effects of sinkhole activity. And right. the, 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 the developers and builders fought that like crazy because you know they argued, well, you're gonna make us spend more money. If we have to spend more money on a house, then that's fewer people that are gonna get houses. It's not in the public's best interest. And so ultimately, the committee came back to the commission with a recommendation, uh, and this is a I'm paraphrasing of the ordinance, but the ordinance as it was passed states, the engineer of record shall place a statement on the plan that says that special geotechnical or geologic conditions at this site have been considered. So my question to you, Ted, JD, how in the hell is putting a statement on a plan strengthening a foundation? Well, right, I guess, you know, engineers are like lawyers in one very important way, and that is a lot of times your name or my name goes on the document so that when there's a subsequent problem, there's someone to blame. Yes, but what, what, I'm, what I'm telling you is that I've lost uh, tons of business over the years to developers. I haven't lost any sleep, but I've lost business to these developers and builders because I said, you want me to put that statement on the plan that I've considered it, then I'm going to go out and I'm going to do GPR. We'll talk about testing methods in a minute. Uh, I'm going to do GPR. I'm going to do a couple SPT borings. I'm going to do some hand augers. 
and you know for about uh, $3,000 or so I'll be happy to put that statement on the plan you know what the builder says to me thanks mr. Anderson I have an engineer that's retired from Kentucky that will put the statement on this on the plan and sign it uh, without doing any additional work costing me any additional money so that in the deposition he can say well I considered it that's right I considered it yes <laughs> I'm not I remember that when they were fighting over that language because they wanted it, not just the certification that they considered it, but that they had explored it. Right. I mean, just saying that you considered it is not really moving the dial in any way. But, no. Uh, you know, and, it, no. and again, it's amazing. You, In the context of the amount of money that was being made to build these homes, they were not on thin, razor-thin razor margins. They had more than enough money. In fact, personally, uh, my wife and I, well, I can't identify the property location because we had to sign a confidentiality agreement, but we, we went into a development and it was one of those situations where you pick the lot and then you pick the house. Well, we did that. And I asked right up front if it would be okay if I had an engineer go out and conduct a site-specific investigation. And to your point, they don't want to know. That's right. And so what they told me was, you know what? Once you once we get to the point where we're going to start the construction, you'll be the one that owns the lot, not us, and then you can do whatever you want. All right, so we spend eight months meeting with them, picking out doorknobs, carpeting, ceilings, doors, windows, you name it, landscaping, everything. And they do the big design, and then one day I'm called about eight months later, and they say, we're ready for you to close on the lot. And so we did. We went in, signed the documents, closed on the lot. And we had a contract with the with the contractor to build the house that we had designed. Well, two weeks after we closed on the lot, I sent a geotechnical engineer out like you and had them conduct some testing on the location. Well, three days later, I get a phone call from the engineer, and he said, uh, he somebody said, George is on the phone. And I said, okay. So I said, hey, George, how big's my sinkhole? And he pauses, and he says, well, it's quite large, actually. And they had found an eight-foot open cavern right where the living room was going to go. Right. And so we found out that for a development site that had more than 75 houses to be built on it, they had only put two standard penetration tests for the entire property. And yeah. we had done three on my lot. Yeah, right, and so they then, and, and yeah. they may not even extended those SPTs that they did pre development to limestone. It's standard of care for pre development borings just to be done to thirty feet and not even necessarily to limestone, which is I think a problem. But um yeah, I mean what so so during that same time period I was um I'm a resident of Pasco County, um and um I was insured by a large national insurance company that you may have done work for in the past and I got a notice that my insurance premium was uh, for sinkhole coverage was going to be increased somewhere in the neighborhood of I think it was about $3,500 a year was just my sinkhole portion of the coverage and so I took a long look at my property and what I do for a living. And I said, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm not going to, I would never file a sinkhole claim. Um, I'm not in an area that's prone to sinkholes, even though I live in Pasco County. 
And so I'm just going to eliminate the coverage. But it got me to thinking this. $3,500, that's a lot, you know, that's annual. That's a lot of money. And so I, I did a little study. And if pre-development, I did a GPR um, study, ground penetrating radar. I did uh, SPT boring. I uh, did some hand augers. And then I did some things to my structure, like put top and bottom steel in the foundation, make sure that it's control jointed appropriately, do a little bit more in the construction. I came up with about $4,500 in added construction cost. Now, wait a minute. How long does it take to offset $4,500 when your insurance premiums are $3,500 a year for sinkhole coverage? So it just, it, it didn't make good sense to me and it still doesn't make good sense to me why from a pre-development perspective we're not doing more to investigate the possibility of sinkhole conditions and strengthen our buildings to resist uh, the effects of differential settlement associated with them. Well, and I mean, in the context of understanding that that $4,500 investment could very well have been, it, it may very well be the primary reason that you're able to preserve the integrity of the structure. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, not talking, we're talking about less than, you know, for, you know, for people building homes in, you know, anywhere, Wesley Chapel or, uh, or even up in other areas, Hernando, whatever, it's not unheard of for a home to cost a half a million, $750,000. Right. And people don't want to spend a half percent point of the purchase price to then save themselves on the sinkhole side. You're right, because I honestly, a lot of locations, uh, mine being one of them, I live in West Chase. I can't buy sinkhole coverage there. Right. My insurance company won't offer it to me, but they, well, they'll offer it to me, but the premium is some stupid amount of money. I mean, it's it's like, you know, $15,000 a year to get the coverage. So it's, you know, when we went to buy this house, after we dumped the one that had the sinkhole, uh, we, it was funny, My we, I remember the first day we went to the house, my wife walked up to the front door and I walked to the side of the building. <laughs> I'm like looking at the walls going, show me cracks and I'm out of here. Right. So I knew we were going to have trouble getting coverage. Right. Well, that's, you know, right. that, that that's my best advice to anybody that's looking at a property is that it's a business uh, decision until such time as you close on it, then you can become uh, emotionally attached to the structure. But, you know, walking in and falling in love with a house without knowing all of its background and doing your due diligence is, is uh, setting you up for potentially making a bad decision. Sure, sure. Well, let's address, uh, and then I think it's a good where, place to stop, uh, the issue of what is the, what are the general testing methods? Because then in a, in a later podcast, we're going to address this issue of what are the other things other than sinkhole that can cause these kinds of damages? And so tell me uh, a little bit more of if somebody were to file a sinkhole claim, what's the kind of testing they would probably expect a company of like yours? Well, well what, we, what we typically do um, associated with a sinkhole claim is, uh, first of all, try to get as much history associated with the property as we can. Uh, we talked about pulling historical aerial photographs earlier to look at the uh, conditions of the, of the land prior to development. We also want to interview the homeowner or the homeowner's representatives to get a history of what's going on with the property. Why, why do they think that they have a sinkhole? What is driving uh, their 
decision to file a sinkhole claim. And then uh, we take that information and then we do our own inspection of the property, uh, understanding how that property is constructed. Is it a masonry structure? Is it a wood frame structure? What type of foundation uh, is it setting on? Um, are there are there construction defect issues associated with it? I mean, you know, we've talked a little bit about construction defects in our podcast, and the uh, the reason we got into doing construction defects is because part of sinkhole investigations, we were seeing construction defects manifesting themselves as a potential differential settlement related damage. So, you know, looking at the building from a from a overall perspective. Um, and then understanding how it comes together and how it was designed and constructed, um, looking for cause alternate causations other than sinkhole activity because it may not be sinkhole that's causing the, the problem. It may be improper construction or other uh, bad or deleterious soil condition underneath the structure. Um, and then from there, what we would typically do is a floor elevation survey. So we're mapping out the contours or the elevations of the slab which is constructed right on the ground. Uh, the idea being if the building is settling, then you should see patterns and deviations associated with that floor elevation survey. Um, you know, there's a, there's a problem with that in that we don't know exactly the elevation of the slab when it was originally constructed. Um, so you, you have to take all of these and use them in tools and, and, and your toolbox to solve the problem at hand but not necessarily, you know, take e any individual one as the holy grail other than potentially the SPT. So, um, so after doing the floor elevation survey, uh, we would also probably uh, do a, a survey of the walls if they're masonry to determine where the reinforcement and the masonry cells are located. And there would be geophysical testing that's done as well, most common being ground penetrating radar and a ground penetrating radar, you're, uh, there's a electromagnetic signal that is pulsed into the earth, and then there's an antenna that receives that pulse back, uh, and it records the amount of time from the uh, initiation of the pulse to it being received. And there's uh, the electromagnetic signal is gonna travel different rates and different soil types and be bounced off of different layers, and you may potentially see um, conditions in which the the earth has been weakened uh, and you have an increased depth of your penetrate of the of an increased increased penetration depth of the signal associated with those weakened soils um, so that would be one geophysical test that's most commonly used there are other geophysical tests that may be used as well and when we're doing our initial investigation we would also uh, do shallow hand augers and what call, what's called comb penetrometer tests, which determine the makeup and the relative strength of the shallow soils. Um, and then we, we get all this information and we gather it together and we go back to the office and we uh, round table it. And ultimately what we're doing is we're looking at locations to put what's called standard penetration tests. Uh, the standard penetration test is a, uh, it's called a split spoon hammer. It's basically a uh, piece of pipe, more or less, that's cut in half uh, lengthwise. And then there's rings on the end of it that allow you to combine those two halves back together. And then you're driving that, you're attaching that to a rod and you're driving it into the earth using a 140 pound hammer falling 30 inches. 
And what you're doing is you're doing you're getting inside of that cut pipe or inside of the split spoon, you're getting a sample of the soil so you can understand what type of soil that you're going through, whether it's a sand or a silty sand or a clay or a rock. You're getting a sample of that back, but you're also getting a relative strength of that soil by recording how many blows it takes of that hammer to advance the spoon through a 12 inch, 12 inch interval into the soil. Um, and ultimately in the SPT borings there are signature characteristics that we may be looking for that would be indicative of sinkhole activity at depth, uh, a decrease in strength of soil. So naturally soil as it's deposited and as it settles and consolidates it should be getting stronger with depth in most instances. So if you have a condition in which the soil is getting weaker with depth that may be an indication of raveling or soil that's being moved into the voids inside of the limestone. You may actually intersect voids in the soil and those are typically associated with either losses of drilling fluid or weight of rod conditions and you may also have very weak soil areas which would be indicative of weight of hammer conditions. So there's uh, you know these indicators in the SPT borings that we look for that would be determinative of whether or not there are sinkhole conditions at the site. The big limitation though is that typically on a residential sinkhole investigation you may do three or four SPT borings. The SPT boring is only about two inches in diameter um, and so you may not really be getting an uh, overall representative of what's happening at the site just because of the limitations of what you can do from a testing perspective. Well, that's a lot of very technical information, but I think it's a great place to end uh, now Perfect. that we've had an opportunity to understand the formation of sinkholes, where why it is that they are especially prevalent in certain parts of the state while not as prevalent in other parts of the state, and the methods that these engineers, engineers like uh, Byron have at their disposal to assess individual buildings. We'd like you to stick around for our next podcast, which we're going to address the issue of identifying things not sinkhole related, but that are commonly associated with homes that have certain kinds of cracking damage and really address the issue of how you go about fixing them and fixing them correctly. I hope that this podcast has been beneficial to you as a property owner, as a licensed community association manager or property manager, or if you're on a board of directors that you've got a building or buildings that are having these kinds of problems. Again, my name is Ted Corliss. I'm the JD. And I'm Byron Anderson. I am the PE. If you need additional information about either of these, uh, I'll give you my website and then I'll have Byron do the same. You can take a look at our website at www.corlissbarfield.com. And Byron, what's your website? My website would be SEI, that's Sam Elizabeth Indigo, Florida, spelled out, seiflorida.com. Very good. We'll look forward to providing more content in the future.